0: This is Sid Finkelstein, and welcome to the Sidcast. And if you've been listening to the Sidcast at all, one of the things you probably notice is that I kind of talk and ask questions. And uh, some people have asked me, well, you know, you do a lot of research on people uh, ahead of time. And the answer is, well, a little bit, just to know a touch. And my producer, Ben, does a quick uh, call with them usually ahead of time. But I try not to know too, too much because I want to discover in in, uh, in real time. And people ask me, well, you have a set of questions that you ask, uh, you ask don't you? And the answer is uh, actually very few questions because uh, you know my my style and the way I like to do things is is almost like a jazz uh, artist it's about improv it's about kind of creating on the spot it's 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 really fun to do that you know it's a bit more challenging it's not that you you it's not choreographed uh, it's not like you know exactly what you're gonna say before you say it it just kind of comes out and you hope it comes up Pretty good, and you know, in the Sidcast, we 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 hardly edit anything because this is that's what a conversation is all about. It has its ups and downs, and and, and it, um, it it has an ebb and a flow, and it's not like we're um, we need to choreograph the whole thing and uh and that's what um that's kind of a a theme i i, I think of how uh, how i do a lot of my own my own work outside of the uh, podcast and certainly the case now with uh, with the sidcast and i find uh, i find it's a lot more fun because i'm discovering in real time i'm learning in real time and uh, i think that's what uh, that's what jazz is about isn't it i mean i'm i'm not a jazz musician at, at all uh, although i'm a big i'm a big fan and uh um, and I love the music, I love the sound, but I also love the, the improvisational nature of what jazz is because you're creating and you're creating on the spot. Um, it's, it's almost like a, a, a beautiful rendition, uh, of creativity that comes out of your heart, out of your soul, out of your brain, all of those things at once. And, uh, and it comes out and it comes out sometimes and each time you do this, it could be a little bit different. Because we're all unique, and every time we perform, every time we act, every time we do something, uh it could be a little bit a little bit different i think uh, I think most people resonate with that, I think people appreciate that, but they they resonate in the sense that it's it's human it's real uh it's a, it demonstrates a degree of vulnerability as well, all of those things being things that I think attract other others and uh, today, my guest on the Sidcast is a young. Uh, and extremely talented jazz uh, saxophonist and singer and composer, Grace Kelly, and uh, and she's all about improv. And uh, in our conversation, as you'll hear just in a in another another minute or so, uh, we talk about what imp- improv is. What, what does it mean to do that? How, what kind of role does it play in our in our lives? What are the skills involved in this? And uh, I've always um, I've always uh, admired and uh, and respected and really enjoyed. Um, uh, jazz improv in, in real time when you go to a performance and, and, and then talking to somebody even someone as, as young and, and, and accomplished as Grace, Grace Kelly uh, about this it really opens, uh, opens your eyes and opens your ears to, uh, to what each of us can actually do as we create our own, our own lives uh, I suppose uh, when we think about our own careers and what we do for a living and how we do it we are living an Im- improvisational life um, there's no, uh, there's no rule book. There's no game plan. There's no, you know, here are the hundred steps to living a good life. We do, we do what we can. We can read a lot of books that tell you those hundred steps, but at the end of the day, it's up to you and it's up to me. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to have Grace, uh, Grace with us. So uh, it's an absolute uh, pleasure to, uh, to chat with Grace Kelly. And uh, I'm here in her studio in Queens, uh, New York, uh, where we have uh, beautiful sounds in New York in the background on a beautiful, a beautiful spring day. So let's, uh, let's bring, uh, actually, I'm not bringing Grace into the studio. I'm going into her studio, Grace Kelly. Welcome back to The Sidcast, and I'm here with Grace Kelly. Hey, Grace.
1: Hey. Uh,
0: it's so good to be here. I'm here in your studio slash apartment. We've got some nice background sounds happening in New York City, uh, and there's just so much to talk about. I'm um, not even sure where to start, but let's start with like the most basic of all questions. Why jazz?
2: Why jazz? So uh, jazz to me is... At the core about improvisation.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: when I was really little, I was showing signs uh, from the age of five, six, that I just wanted to make up my own stories, songs, dances. And my parents um, would watch me try to complete assignments, whether Mm -hmm. they were the songs I was supposed to learn, uh, and kind of just start to do it my own way and right. add notes change notes write my own songs when
0: you were five or six you were doing this yeah and you were supposed to play a classical classical piece,
2: piece. I was learning classical and piano and so you were
0: doing it and then you kind of start riffing on something
2: very yeah <laughs> five minutes in I was supposed to learn the piece and then I would uh, you know go into <laughs> something completely different and they would walk in and they'd say what are you doing you know that's not mm-hmm. what your teacher assigned right and uh, so it's always been in my bones to want to create right and improvisation and and jazz is one of those that miraculous thing that Mm -hmm. allows one to go wherever in the music and it's really translated into making decisions in my life you know about yeah there might be some moments where there was a plan or something that was supposed to happen and it didn't happen exactly that way due to whatever circumstances um but Thank goodness to my training of jazz, I'm able right. to kind of like just let that go and.
0: Wow, yeah. So that's really uh, interesting. This kind of it's giving you a life life lesson. Yeah. Uh, that you can kind of roll with the punches. Is that, is that what you mean?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's so just like kind of adapting to the moment, yeah. and then like going with it and right. figuring out then what needs to come next. That's what happens in the music. So it's been amazing training ground.
0: And you and in your. Life, non-music life, you've used that skill.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's just whether it needs to be a in-the-moment problem-solving mm-hmm. or in cases where, I mean, it's still been in a musical context where maybe I was putting on a production or a show mm-hmm. and someone didn't show up or, you know, we didn't have the right equipment or right. something that could be a very panicky moment Um, Mm -hmm. or we're like about to miss the gig because our flight got canceled Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) you just just got what are you going to do about it it? I always say if you can't control something which you so often cannot why worry about it It just makes you crazy people do worry about it yeah it just ties you up right
2: and I have this story actually I think you'll find this fascinating when I was 16 years old um, I was supposed to go see an amazing show at the Apollo Theater here in New York. I grew mm-hmm. up in Boston, so yep. my family, we made a trip to come see this. Mm-hmm. The concert producer mm-hmm. said, you can come backstage, you can meet all nice. all of my idols. I mean, it was Wynton uh. Marsalis, Dave Brubeck, all these jazz legends. Found out last minute, they didn't have any space, and we had made this trip. And so, uh. you can imagine, I was pretty... I was you weren't I was happy sad. about it I was sad you know <laughs> yeah. and, and I was with one of my mentors jazz legend Lee Konitz, who played in Miles Davis's band mm. and he, he said let's go to Roth's Steakhouse which is my dear friend he's like my friend's playing we'll just go stop by let's have a meal so we all went <laughs> and Antonio Chaka brilliant pianist was playing in this tiny little steakhouse with mm. his trio and then Antonio said to me do you want to sit in? I was like, yeah, sure. It sounds great. So we had a great time performing in front of like 10 people for the first set. <laughs> right. And then Antonio said to me, you know, there's a trumpeter coming by later. I think you should stick around and play if you're interested. And I'm like, yeah, I mean it's great. I'm having fun. And um, so we go back and set. We start playing. And then who walks in but none other than Wynton Marsalis. That's the trumpeter. That's the trumpeter. He knew he,
0: knew he was coming. Oh my God, it blew, it blew was. my
2: mind. So I look <laughs> over... I mean, I'm just about to like drop my saxophone. Or, and Wynton walks in with his son, casually, right? There's like eight people. Yeah. And, and Antonio looks at me and, and he winks. you know. And then Wynton pulls out his trumpet. He plays the whole second set with us. Wow. A week later, I get a call from Wynton's people saying, Wynton wants you to be a special guest with his jazz orchestra at Rose Hall for three nights. Lincoln Center. Yeah. And later so that was insane and later I got a call being like "Winton wants you to perform at Obama's inauguration with him at the Kennedy Center with I actually performed with Dave Brubeck so basically all these <laughs> things that would have never happened if right. I was able to go to that show
0: yes you would have met them but you never would have been playing with them oh or no ha- unlikely and then one thing leads it to another was, yeah yeah wow great story great <laughs> <Yeah>. story
2: So <laughs> an amazing day
0: wow um <laughs> So of course I want to ask you about the Obama inauguration, but I want to still start or, or talk a little bit more about you know you as uh, Grace the kid. Uh, yeah. So you have um, uh, in your family a lot of um, musical people, like your, I think your your parents or your mom for sure, your grandmother, maybe an aunt as well. Yes,
1: yes. Um,
0: so what's that? What's that story? That what they were classical pianists mostly.
2: My grandma was, a, was trained as a classical pianist and had a lot of students. Um, my aunt. Was a uh, classically trained violinist. She went to Juilliard, mm-hmm. undergrad, master's. My mom never became a professional musician. She just happens to have amazing ears. She's mm-hmm. perfect pitch, great taste in music. I mm-hmm. owe it to her for really, like, influencing me and my sister to the arts since we were babies. Uh. And um, to this day, I'm pretty amazed when she sits down, mm-hmm. like, just to play the piano at Christmas time or whatever, and she can play all the chords, and she can transpose keys, and she's not even thinking about it. Right. Um, so right. she's got raw talent. She's
0: got raw talent. Yeah. So some of that came to you, no doubt, but uh, a ton of hard work. I mean, you, you've been at this performing, actually, in front of people, not just your parents in the living room. Yes. A long time, right? For,
2: yeah, 14 years. I started performing professionally when I was 12. <laughs>
0: when you were 12. Were you nervous?
2: Oh my god, my first performance, I was like, I didn't think I could get on stage. I was so nervous. I mean, I performed in school. My Mm -hmm. music teacher was incredibly encouraging. Mm -hmm. But my first performance of my own as a band leader, I was 12 years old. I was on stage leading this band of Berkeley College professors. Um, There ended up being 250 people that came to that show um, Mm -hmm. because the Boston Globe that day had picked up. The story and, and made a huge, a huge spread yeah, about it. Right, right, but I wasn't really prepared for that. I thought like <laughs> thirty people were going to show up, so I was right. nervous.
0: You were nervous, and, but how how is it you got to lead a band that included professors from Berkeley?
2: So my um, my very first CD I recorded when I was twelve years old, and previously to that, I had uh, no uh, there was nothing in my mind about becoming a professional musician. I didn't know that was a thing you could do. Yeah, right. My elementary school music teacher is a really he was a great jazz pianist. Mm-hmm. He still is. He teaches um, at a university in in uh, Bay Area. And he's the one who really encouraged me. Mm-hmm. He heard my music, he heard me play, sing, write, and he said, "Grace, you have to record this." He told my parents, he said, "I'll, I'll play on her demos." And he said, you should get John Lockwood to play bass. He's Berkeley professor. He mm-hmm. played with Miles, you know, Dizzy Gillespie, Stan wow. gets All My Idols. You should get, you know, Terry Lynn Carrington on drums, Iran, Israel. So my dad literally, like, called up these musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, look, I have a, my daughter is recording, like, three songs with her music teacher. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, like, they came in to the recording studio. So what made,
0: did they listen to the music? Ahead of time, like the, I imagine people might get all kinds of calls about. Yeah, it, here's someone who's really good, and not everybody's really great.
2: Right, so I think um, they had heard from other references of musicians yeah. about me. So right. they they were uh, mm. they took the leap of faith, yeah, and right. they also knew right. that the studio we were going to. They knew some of the musicians right. who worked you at. So they had studio. a lot of
0: credibility from that.
2: Yeah, but they, we'd never met before. They certainly hadn't heard my original music, um, but it was a session date for them, mm-hmm. so they came in, and um, really, that was my first experience at working you know, in a studio with incredible musicians right. who brought my song to life, and um, that was the beginning of becoming a, a recording artist.
0: So, a song gets arranged in yes. a particular way. Were yeah. you doing that? Were they helping you do that? Did they do that?
2: So I wrote all the, the um, what we call the lead sheet mm-hmm. of what I would hand out the paper to the musicians. Okay. And within it was my arrangement of it. What did happen in the recording studio was these incredible musicians would say to me, Grace, in bar four, is mm-hmm. that what you want there? Mm-hmm. What are you looking for and it, I remember I was kind of like, I was so awestruck and also nervous that and I didn't really know how to answer the question. Yeah. But my music teacher did an incredible thing in that moment. He, instead of answering for me, mm-hmm. he looked over to me and he was like, yeah, what are you thinking, Grace? Really putting me on the spot to be like, "Yeah, you make the decision, you know? Right. And if I really needed help, I was kind of looking at him He and he would say, well, what do you think about trying this? But all of these incredible musicians they really
0: support you they encourage
2: you 100% nobody in that room was saying I think we should do this and that allowed me to do um, what I later learned um, as instant decision making arranging for (laughs) music
0: is that what musicians do when they're recording
2: many times it's like there's been um, some wonderful stories and, and that I've heard from other musicians of walking in with almost nothing and okay. creating something yeah. in the studio now I was I had something to begin with but a lot of times in jazz you know it, it relies so much on mm-hmm. the players on mm-hmm. the improvisation mm-hmm. that I found to, to over prepare is actually bad because I want to give just enough structure to mm-hmm. my musicians um, to be like this is what I'm looking for yeah. but bring your thing right. and the reason why I would hire certain players is because I know I love their thing and then they just, uh, then it's just like, okay, let's let's just go. Which is this fine line mm. of what we're talking about before of improvisation, right. going with the flow.
0: Improv, not just in the actual art of making the music, but the whole process of creating the music in the first place.
2: Exactly. Yeah,
0: wow. Um, yeah, so a big part of your story has got to be around, uh, around raw talent. But I'm thinking there's a lot of people listening who, they're good they have a talent it doesn't even have to be music it could be in anything yeah and uh, it's hard to be discovered so to speak it is there are uh, what I, I've seen this in a lot of different fields lots of really really good people that do great work that for whatever reason they're not discovered yeah um, I don't know whether you have a point of view about that or tips even for people I mean obviously in music for you but in, in any field I mean just think about even um, authors yeah um, the there's so many books that are published every year and some of them are unbelievable books and nobody knows about them. And yes, you could hire a PR agent and you know publicist and those things are good things, but um, what what does it really take to, to, to break through for someone with, with talent?
2: It's such an amazing question that I'm constantly thinking about and talking about with artist friends because like you said, there's so much talent. I mean, you go to the New York subways and <laughs> that person could potentially be of the skill level to play at Carnegie Hall, you know, yeah. um, right. I think the thing that not all artists or creatives are equipped with is is being able to market
0: their right. creations. Def-
2: and like you said, I mean, we've all been in many creative people have been in the position of uh, hiring a PR person. But that's a very expensive endeavor if you want to get a great person. Mm-hmm. And then maybe if you, you know, depending on budgetary things, mm-hmm. maybe you can get someone, but maybe nothing happens. So what I think is the most incredible thing about today's world mm-hmm. is that we have the internet. Right. And
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's kind of, it's just completely fair game at this yeah. point of someone with talent mm-hmm. can set up their iPhone in their bedroom right. and perform a piece of, and then publish it, Mm -hmm. and through YouTube, through the internet, through um, targeted ads, be able to, for a very, very small budget, I mean, if you don't have any ads in it, then it's just going to get out, be able to start to cultivate their audience. And I really think the name of the game in, in the musical artist world today is is really getting close to your core audience, even mm-hmm. if that's only a 1,000 people, even mm-hmm. if it's only a 100 people, mm-hmm. being able to... Um, I've actually crowdfunded my past few albums, and my fans completely paid for all of the productions, and they're expensive productions. They are. We're talking, you know, $50,000 and up, and they... Um, you know, and it's not... Uh, I, I'm not talking millions of people who are doing it either. Right. Uh, right. They're just... These are fans of mine that share every piece of content that Mm -hmm. have been with me on the ride Mm -hmm. that discover me on YouTube and I really think that's that's you can't forget about your Mm -hmm. core fans who are gonna do the work almost for you you know that's
0: that's the power of, of community it's really something and the internet allows allows that to happen a lot easier than maybe it would have happened uh not maybe that then would have or could have happened uh, before, yeah. um, but it really speaks to you know why do these people do this? Like, the, your your fans that are putting their own money there, they they want to see you be successful, but they're getting something in return, and yes they they'll get copies of the CD if we even call it CDs anymore I don't even know or downloads etc but they feel a connection in this case to to you and that's meaningful to them it's really kind of amazing
2: that blows my mind I mean I remember watching Amanda Palmer's TED talk about the art of asking which is one of my favorite TED talks and she Mm -hmm. talks about and she has a book as well all about her journey as as an indie artist and how her fans really stepped up and what it meant to you know at first I think a lot of at least musical artists I know, are really kind of bashful about asking their fans to help. And Mm -hmm. I know when I first went into crowdfunding, it was, it's a little nerve-wracking. And Amanda Palmer goes into this whole thing. What I learned the first time I did, uh, I reached out to my fans, um, was the amount of messages that came back from fans saying, I thank you for this opportunity to be a part of your process. The, and then like also messages of like you won't even believe mm. um, your song you know means this to me did this for me Was is my morning anthem to get me through this that I mean it's just like I was in tears wow. basically getting these personal messages from people which I didn't ask for if mm-hmm. anything I felt really nervous about asking for them to mm-hmm. to help mm-hmm. but I realized that the way that they're thinking about it is the opposite of the way I was thinking about it, which is, oh my God, this is so fun. Oh my God, we get to be a part of this. And when I'm a part of other people's crowdfunding, right. that's how I feel. Right. I'm like genuinely so excited to mm-hmm. get their updates, so excited for their successes. Yep. want to be like, they're cheerleading them on to do it their way. I think that's the other thing that mm-hmm. is so wonderful about my fans. They are like, they know that I'm kind of, I'm out of the box. I'm always trying new things. I might walk in with a furry pink coat and perform a song, yeah. and they're they love that, and they right. want to encourage that. That's what they want. Yeah,
0: and they want you to be you,
2: which is like, um, I mean, yeah. such a blessing. You
0: that know, is a that is a great that thing. That people
2: actually care. I mean, everyone's so busy, so it's, <laughs> it blows my mind.
0: Right, you know, that is really a great. Uh, I mean, those are those are thoughts, idea, think, that can apply to a lot of a lot of fields, and it speaks to gratitude. It speaks to appreciation. I think it speaks to actually most people are actually good people
2: yeah and even you know for when people take the time to do a review mm-hmm. you know to write a review yep. about their favorite song about their All favorite right. book and mm-hmm. just you know it's like it takes effort on someone's part and i think it means that they're really moved
0: yeah yeah where do you get your ideas when you write songs you write your own music
2: that's a great question too um I, from everything from experiences that I've had with people yeah. um, to. You're going to write
0: a song about podcasts now?
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm
0: already your fan, but this will be <laughs> yeah. like cemented for life. <laughs> yeah. You'll get every finkle scene in the book with that one.
2: <laughs> all, right, all right, noted. Um, everything from, you know, very meaningful moments that I've, I've mm. had with people. It could be a moment about falling in love or falling out of love. it could also be um i like to sit in coffee shops sometimes and just listen to people talk yes and uh you never know when a phrase yeah. is just going to come out and mm-hmm. sometimes living in new york you know when you walk the streets you're in really close quarters with yep. people yep and i keep my phone out and i have this list of of notes of just phrases like funny phrases sentimental whatever just perks mm-hmm. my ears And I'll go back through that and see if it evokes a feeling. Mm -hmm. And then I'll start to just, I'll write a melody. It could also be inspired by, um, I love to think colors when I think music. I Mm -hmm. love to think, you know, if I'm in um, nature, that like really, Mm -hmm. uh, it really uh, touches me. I had one incredible experience in San Quentin prison performing for...
0: Really?
2: um, 50 plus inmates, yes, it was part of this documentary called Sound of Redemption about mm-hmm. one of my mentors, Frank Morgan mm-hmm. who spent um, a large part of his life in and out of San Quentin mm-hmm. so uh, this experience there was so powerful, yeah. getting to talk to a lot of these mm-hmm. guys and basically I walked in with a lot of thoughts and I walked out with a lot of different thoughts mm-hmm. and I wrote a song um, after called He Shot a Man that um, is on my trying to figure it out CD and uh, yeah it's like a through composed piece yeah. about all of these stories mm-hmm. uh, it's an instrumental piece that went on to win an ASCAP um, music award but it's a uh, yeah I was just I was so moved I don't know I didn't know how to say it so most of the time, when I don't know how to say things, I just write them through the music,
0: and uh, and that's where the melodies going come from.
2: So the melodies come from, and honestly, it feels like therapy for me. Like, hmm. um, as a kid, I realized that there were a lot of things that I felt like I couldn't really say, um, for whatever reason, uh, and and not that anything would have happened if I said them, but hmm. I, I whether I got bashful or or I, I felt like I couldn't get mad in that moment, or yeah. something was repressed whatever it may be, um, I ended up getting it out through my music, my sadness, my happiness, right. my... And then I felt mm-hmm. better and then I realized that when other people heard it, it evoked emotions. They, they
0: felt something for themselves. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. interesting because I think more... If more kids had an outlet, not necessarily they you know how to write music, of course not, but some type of creative outlet. Sometimes it could be a physical one where you're running or doing a sport to help you kind of process so, life i think it's not so i said kids important. but how about everybody i think that's, it's
2: so important I'm, yeah. I'm just so grateful to have found yeah that thing mm-hmm. that that's yeah. this safe place mm-hmm. that's like mm-hmm. uh constant you know of being able to plug in tap in right. and express right.
0: yeah. we're talking to grace kelly let's take a short break and come right back Talking to Grace Kelly makes me think about the music we use um, here on the Sidcast. And uh, it's very sophisticated. It's called the Jazz Hustle Flute, and it comes from GarageBand, band's uh, audio samples. And uh, it's pretty good. Uh, actually i think it 's excellent. People have uh, commented on it but here 's an opportunity for you if you are um, a uh, a jazz composer even uh, in your using garage band or in your basement or anywhere else, and you want to send us a really short sample and you 'd like us to uh, to use it We're definitely going to be open to uh, uh, to that idea, uh, just uh, go to uh, the dot and get in touch. Uh, get in touch with us and uh, send us a uh, an audio sample, and uh, we'll. Uh, may- who knows? Maybe we'll have a new theme, and we'll have your uh, your and you'll have a credit on it. Uh, so here we go. We might even be creating some new music opportunities as we speak. Welcome back to the Sidcast. This is Sid Finkelstein, and today we're talking to Grace Kelly. And Grace, you have been a um, a child star, if you will. You started very young, and you know, what was it? What was it like? What do you remember from those days?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's um, you know, back when I was twelve, and through my teens, I had a very unusual childhood, an incredible one, because I was simultaneously, you know, traveling the world internationally, mm-hmm. performing, recording. Uh, I went to Berkeley College of Music on a full scholarship when I was sixteen, so I left high school early and I was, um, half homeschooled in high school because I was also just traveling a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I never went to prom or, uh, <laughs> actually never did the actual walk through graduation, but I feel like my, my, my childhood was full of all these incredible experiences of, yeah. you know, traveling and, and performing. Um, but again, like, back when I started, I never thought this was going to be a full-time career.
0: It's just... It's... Even when you were traveling and performing?
2: At that point, I think I started to realize... I started to see it. I started to be like, wow, this is actually, like, something I yeah. could do. Uh-huh. But, you know, I'm not really, like, thinking about mm-hmm. when I'm 12 years old what I'm going to do yeah. as my...
0: 12-year-olds, <laughs> not usually thinking about that. <laughs> no, no.
2: <laughs> I'm just like, this is fun. Like, this is... I really enjoy this. I love this. Yeah. Um... But there's this very interesting thing that happens when one grows up, doing all that, and people start to pen the name like child prodigy on me, yeah. which, it you know, was a great compliment. I certainly never thought of myself as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just feel like I found this calling from an early age, and followed it and spent a lot of time, you know, crafting it. But never what I say about myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a child prodigy. I mean, yes. one starts a child prodigy. But um, <laughs> what did end up happening is. You know, I'd go, I'd travel all over, and mm. a large amount of audience would come, and and it would be this thing of like, oh my gosh, this this little girl is playing this great music of jazz, and and uh, I think that there's other people who've been in my shoes of when you have a lot of success from a very young age, mm. there's this time where you start to cross into your adulthood. You know, you're like 19, 20, 21. and that particular thing wears.
0: The Um, child protege, the the, the novelty of a 12-year-old, 16-year-old.
2: Yeah, but I think um, it's an incredibly exciting territory to be in because for me, I looked at it as a way to really reinvent myself. Suddenly, Mm -hmm. I was able to step into my artistry without everyone saying oh, she's 14, you know, suddenly it did, it's... It
0: didn't matter almost <laughs> what you did. There was enough talent uh, that, wow, boom, yeah. Uh, and, and but it's
2: also challenging. It's very challenging because yeah. um, I realized that I spent a lot of my my early years not so much developing my artist self, but just, like, learning the music and being good at it, but also having the spotlight that was on me.
0: Yes. And, and
2: all of a sudden, when you cross over into this territory of people just assume you found your artistic self at that point, but I really hadn't. I was just starting, you know? I was just starting to really um, to dive into that world. What I was doing in my teens was documenting, but I think it's very different. What do you mean by that? Documenting, uh, learning this music of jazz. It's just... Mm-hmm. As I was learning more jazz vocabulary, mm-hmm. I was recording it and getting it out to the public. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's my artistic statement, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And and it's interesting, rather than going, uh, maybe you've done this too, but rather than going deeper and deeper into the documentary aspect of, of, of art, uh, you wanted to reinvent and recreate. And in fact, going beyond jazz, I think, in some instances.
2: Absolutely. I mean, that's the name of the game to me of like, how can I take this core concept of improvisation which I think fits into any musical genre, any aspect of life yeah. and bring it into right. all these other aspects that I love, bring it into pop songwriting which I wrote a song uh, called She's the First mm. and it was inspired, speaking of inspirations, it was inspired by an incredible nonprofit based in New York City called She's the First mm. and they are champions and rock stars. Uh, supporting girls' education, and they have sent so many girls all around the world um, to be the first in their family to get through high school. Wow! And then college. I mean, it's probably over a thousand girls. So at they this raise point. money
0: and they provide funding for kids. Yes. that yeah. Have this potential, S-
2: especially in areas where there's a lot of right. poverty. And yeah. And so I, I, uh, I'm good friends with the founders, and I one day was watching one of their videos. They had asked me to perform at one of their um, their fundraisers and I realized they didn't have an anthem. They didn't have their song. Yeah. I kind of like was hearing a bunch of music on their videos and I, I wrote to them and I'm like, you know, I think you guys, I want to write you a song for your girls. I'm yeah. just so inspired by your mm. story. And I did and in it, we ended up making a music video with a lot of these girls um, wow. from She's the First because mm-hmm. not only do they have their girls that they support financially but they have girls in the U.S. And all these high schools that put on bake sales, they, you know, they... They're
0: trying to raise money.
2: They raise money. And so they're a big part of, you know, the sisterhood of it. All right. And um, I wrote a song, um, and Glamour magazine later said it's their girl... What did I say? It's like the girl anthem of their year, or their favorite girl anthem of, uh-huh. of the year. And I found out these stories from some of their... She's the first... Um, scholars who said they would listen to this song every day as they walked to school. Really. When they walked back, when they put on their bake sale, when, before their, you know, their group meetings. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, it's been it's been very powerful. And that's not a jazz song, but that's certainly taking right. my training, you know.
0: Yeah. In jazz. And there's a lot of things that you're saying that I wanna I wanna unpack a little bit. And the last one is about the, the, the power of, of a piece of music. It can be so inspirational, so fulfilling for people, and I, I'm sure everyone listening has, has that. Yeah. Uh, you know, people talk about you remember times in your lot li- in your life in the music. So there's something about how our brains are wired that that works. But uh, I mean, I even I mean, even me, I remember when I was writing as um, young and still in school, writing store stories. I used to write fiction before I got serious and started doing all kinds of other crazy things. Yeah. Um, I would listen to a Cat Stevens song of all things, mm-hmm. "Sad Lisa." Uh, uh, and it would just play on and on, and it just—I found it so um, motivational, some way somehow. It's yeah. really kind of amazing. It um, is what that what that does, right? Um, and the, the and what you said about imp- improvising and kind of the improvisational uh, life uh, is uh, uh, is really interesting because you know I study uh, and write about leaders a lot, yes. and one of the things that really differentiates the best leaders. From the very good leaders, is that they're always looking for something new. It's mm-hmm. almost—I I don't want to call it a disease because you got to master where, where you're at. But they just keep going and going and going. I mean, an extreme would be an Elon Musk who is going <laughs> and maybe going too far. And, but you know, who would have imagined he would be? He, he could have done what he what what he did. Yeah. Uh, already, even with all the bumps in the road. Um, but even less, you know, famous people like that. Yeah. They're always looking for something. You, it's really kind of amazing. And, and I found that when I read about, not read about, when I interviewed them and talked to them about it and kind of packaged mm-hmm. it together, um, I found that very inspirational So inspirational. It's just a really fun... I mean, it's a little scary if you're not
2: comfortable. Right.
0: Uh, but it's such, for me, it's such a fun way to think about life and, yeah. and living. I wonder how, how we can, if you can teach people how to do this, if it's not innate. For you, it's probably... Somewhat innate. Maybe it's one of the reasons that jazz became so important to you as well. It's just well, you were said it before. You're five or six. You started kind of going off and doing your own thing right away. Right. Um, but if it's not that way, and there's so much to be gained by it. And by the way, just to connect another little, another little train of thought, the the research on the types of skill sets people are going to need, uh, to be successful. Um, it's true today, it's gonna to be even more important next decade and next decade because of artificial intelligence, robotics, all yeah. kinds of stuff, is constant learning and reinvention. Mm-hmm. That that's gonna be not just a good to have, it's gonna be a must have. Yeah. So it's gonna become I mean people need to learn how to do that. I and mean, school systems are not designed for that currently. No. Um so I don't I don't know reading about it, learning about it, listening to you talk about it are great ways to do it. I'm just wondering how you can learn to be that if that's not who you it's not like, automatically innate.
2: Well, I think, well, I mean, um, for me, I've been incredibly blessed to get a lot of experience hands-on, jumping in on the stage, but not everyone, you know, with my mentors. Be, right. not, not thinking I was ready to mm-hmm. get up on that hot plate, but not having a choice, really, and, and going and learning yeah, yeah. so much or producing a show. Oh, my God, learn so much just from trial and error. But for people who don't have that actual opportunity arise, we're in an incredible time where, you know, you can plug in and get inspired by a podcast and read, or maybe even if your situation around you is not the people that are necessarily cheering you on or motivating you, to be able to just, you know, still take in sources of information that are inspiring and try to, um, you know, try to then... Maybe meet, go to that musician's show. and Take a chance. Them. Take a chance. You're right. Take
0: a uh, chance. I think that's do what it's all about. do something a little about. bit. Yeah, it's taking a chance, and it's okay to mess up. It's okay. it's so most, okay. most of the time when you take a chance, it doesn't actually work. But and you'll learn. Because, well, if you're open to work. it and you yeah. look at it that way. Right. It's a tricky thing because a lot of people that I've done some of these episodes with, the podcast episodes, some still to come, uh, talk about the process of getting, and they're very successful people in very different fields than what we're talking about here. Uh, but they talk a lot about the process, and they, t- yeah. they teach young people about the process. That it's, And, you know, people say that uh, often, but embracing that is a bit more difficult. It's not kind of the, 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 the end goal by itself. It's the process of getting there where the real fun, and the energy is. And then you just keep moving those goalposts in every direction.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I think what actually is a very stagnant, stagnant thing is mm-hmm. when you focus too much on, your, on, on the end goal. Because then, yeah. you know, then it might be like creating all these excuses of why, why you don't jump in and why you don't start. For me, I mean, it might be <laughs> my mm-hmm. youth and naïveness, but <laughs> I am, um, you know, I'm the first one to take my saxophone on a Ferris wheel. I have a pop-up, uh, a web series that's called Grace Kelly Pop-Ups where I started it, I developed it over a couple years ago. Where I wanted to start making content that was fun, that was relatable, that was outside of jazz. Because a lot of people, I think, feel a little intimidated by mm-hmm. jazz. Which I feel like, you know, there's, you don't have to know any special thing to enjoy right. jazz. Right. So I started to take my sax um, everywhere that was not the stage. I did a pop-up on a gondola in Italy while the guy behind me was you know, singing and and, <laughs> and rowing. I did one on a yeah, on a moving Ferris wheel, on a motorcycle, on and uh, it was pretty it was really fun and also, you know, I, I, I wasn't really thinking about the success of the web series or anything. I was just like, you know, I wanna jump in and, and right. make cool, awesome content and I have some friends who have gotten incredibly successful from initially starting to play mm-hmm. in the new york subways really? and yeah. you know now they have this career like really professional career that mm-hmm. people would be like oh my god how'd you do that but how'd they do that one day at a time like right. went and played for hours on the subway one of my past uh great gigs was playing in the The Late Show with Stephen Colbert band under the direction of John Batiste. Mm. They played in the subway for like a whole summer, for hours at a time. There's YouTube videos of them on the train. Oh yeah.
0: Before they were famous, or when? Oh yeah.
2: I mean, John's been at it now for over ten years. Yeah. yeah. And I've known him for some from for years now, but. There's this great footage of them just like on the train. There's these people who are like, look like they're so annoyed, you know, <laughs> trying to, on their commute back home.
0: And now they'll, now they'll spend, you know, $200 to get a seat up front at some gig. Exactly, we actually
2: had a really funny, um, we had a funny moment as, as the late show band one time. We're all in the makeup room, at, you know, at CBS, getting ready to go on. And we're just watching all these videos of literally, like, their early days. Oh, yeah? And and people's shaky iPhone videos, and and uh, it's such a hoot. But I think um, it goes back to what you're saying of, like, whatever the circumstances is, like, if you want to make music and you want to make music for people, whether you just go outside and you start making that mm-hmm. music, or you go to a jam session, right. it's an act of courage, but it's also just an act of, like, starting.
0: The way to start... Is to start.
2: Is to start. It,
0: it, that's it's as simple as that. Yeah. And the thing is, people judge themselves. Right. Judge others, but judge themselves so much. But. Right. Just, just try it. Just, you know. Try it out, and this is true. If you if you like writing, it's true. If you like, if you like anything, not not everyone's going to become you know world famous. That's fine, but you're going to gain something from that process.
2: It's and, a very uh, you know, satisfying. Yeah. You know, if you're lo, if you love what you do, the process. Right. Hopefully it will be this very satisfying thing.
0: So you mentioned uh, Colbert. So you met Colbert. You performed on Colbert. Is he as funny in real life as we see him on? Oh, my today? God. He's one of the
2: greatest, <laughs> most genuine What
0: people. an impact he's had, you know, from the John Stewart platform to everything he's done on his own. It's incredible.
2: He is. And he's, not only is he just wildly intelligent and kind and generous, but um, he's so... Yeah, he's so thoughtful. I mean, my first, my first week on the show, he knew my name. He would stop hmm. me in the hall to talk about, I don't know, family, dogs, learn about me when there's a bajillion other things yeah. he yeah. could be doing. And his whole team is like that. And off the camera, he'd be singing with the band. He'd be doing pirouettes. I mean, there's just, there's nothing that guy can't do or talk about yeah. or
0: he's a tremendous talent.
2: He is. He is, and yeah. it's and he is so genuine. As person.
0: So how often do you perform on the show?
2: So I was mainly in the show in the first year. I did yeah. that for half the year, mm-hmm. was there every day, worked with yeah. some incredible musical guests, got to hang out with Colbert, bunch, um, and then I, I really took off and did a bunch of my own touring right. from there. Right,
0: right. And you mentioned earlier you performed at Obama's Inauguration.
2: Yes. So
0: what was that like? <laughs> that was
2: back when I was, yeah, I was 16 yeah. and... Wynton Marcellus put on this incredible performance mm-hmm. at the Kennedy Center with all these jazz legends. I mean it was Roy Haynes was there, Dave Brubeck. I played with, got to perform with him, Cassandra Wilson. Um, it, it was an amazing. That performance was an amazing and mm-hmm. the feeling and the celebration right. around DC was something I'll never forget. Yeah. It was such yeah. an, an honor to be a part of that historical moment, you
0: know. We're talking with Grace Kelly. Let's take a short break and come back with our last short segment.
2: So, I, I, uh, I feel inspired just to play a little improvised bit for, awesome. for our moments together. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be, but
0: let's
1: go. <laughs> woo woo woo
0: is there a dictionary of sorts that is in your brain uh, where you play particular notes or is uh, there's got to be some pattern behind even in improv. Is that, is that correct? Oh,
2: absolutely. I mean, I've spent the majority of my, um, of my training was spent doing scale work, learning the foundations mm-hmm. of jazz theory, blah, blah, blah. Um, really important stuff that I continue to teach to my students um, at this point, it is all so internalized that it's become a language, yeah. just like we speak yes. English, and those things don't run in my brain simultaneously because I literally have I've digested them, um, but it's absolutely, the notes that I'm playing are coming from a jazz language, a jazz mm-hmm. vocabulary, hmm. um, and I'm able to hear Mm. those notes in my head and then bring it to my fingers. Or if I were to sing something, if I was to scat something for you, like Do-do-do-do-do-do-do Oh, isn't it a lovely day today The sun is shining my way Oh, Oh, it feels like springtime In New York City, actually it is springtime, not only does it feel
1: like it, but it is indeed, how oh,
2: spring. You know, it's just, um, mm-hmm. the notes just yeah. run in my head and, and they come out. And the biggest thing that I try to channel through um, through my studies and that I try to teach my students is connecting what we hear in our brain right. and bringing it to our fingers. Uh-huh. Uh, I really want to be able to hear right. everything that I'm playing so that my saxophone playing comes across almost like someone singing to you. It's not just, you know, uh-huh. one, two, three, A, B, C, yes. but it's an intention. It's a melody.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is just really interesting to me because there's not a randomness to... improv and I guess a lot of people think and maybe I was thinking that too that it's not quite random in the sense that it's helter skelter but that it's it's not as that there's real structure to improv in fact
2: yeah it's it's an amazing thing because there's structure but then within that structure you can use your creativity however you want so it's kind of like seeing as someone like here's point one here's point two here's point three four Mm -hmm. get from one to four but figure out how you want to do it and it also reminds me of you know When one is putting together words, depending on the order that you say them, depending on the way that you, you know, decorate them, Mm -hmm. or just like anything, Mm -hmm. like visual arts, it can make all the difference. Right. In that little... It's just these little things.
0: And so in the words, we've got got an alphabet, and we've got a bunch of words that exist, many, 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 and then you put them together in different combination. Yes. And that's part of what the creativity is, but it's always... A dictionary—it's always a set of words—and so that is similar in yes, terms of the notes and the uh, the the history of really what people have done with it.
2: And it's very similar to songwriting. You know, I, yeah. I deal with that a lot and when I'm and I come up with an idea and I come up with a few phrases. Mm-hmm. I might find like two words that I like, and then I'll you know be like maybe swap them around, or it, maybe like those words. I can pick two notes and put those words, and it won't quite sound right. And then I'll pick another note with the same word. And I'm like, oh, that's right.
0: And you just know that it's and right. And I just
2: and like intuitively know yeah. that it's right. And the difference of saying, like, they think, or they think, <laughs> or they think, they think. I mean, there's so many variables of how long am I going to hold this note out? Am I going to yeah, come from yeah, above? Am yeah. I going to come from below? And then when I finally do hit it, I'm like, okay, that's definitely right.
0: Right. And then so when you perform, you could adjust that. Yeah.
2: If you want to. Absolutely. In fact, I mean you
0: probably do. All I mean, all the many time. pop singers do this as well. Yes. Um, yeah, if you if you see a, a Bob Dylan concert, they're always different. Yes. I mean of course his voice has changed dramatically over over the years, but they're always different in, in kind of how he intones it, how he how he how he does it. Yeah. Um which, for long-time fans, they get frustrated. They say, I don't even know what the song is. And then they figure it out after a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's, that's also what, what you do.
2: I think I would go insane if I had to play the song the same exact way. Play or sing the song the same exact way. Because yeah. that, mm. um, you know, it goes so against the improvisational nature. Right, reaches. but don't
0: fans want that? They get used to it. They say, oh, come on, Grace, play... When they call out, play, you know, <laughs> what, what, a song. They're, they have it in their head and they want to hear it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So so this is the thing about, um, you know, when you, you hear this the, the, this the song that you know exactly, the phrasing and the words, um, what we're able to do as performers, or at least that I'm able to do, is add little moments that are mm-hmm. just like, you know, it might be the difference of, um, um, let's see. Or he's Bill Withers Ain't No Sunshine. Right. That's the melody, right? Like, right. ain't no sunshine, he's gone. At Very straight. But I might play...
1: <laughs> just
2: like... Just add a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not gonna... Hopefully it won't like completely disrupt right. your experience. But it will make... Uh, it'll make it fresh in the moment for right.
0: me. Right. Uh, and so if, the, if fans... Don't embrace the the creative process of artists, the improvisational process. They They might be less satisfied in a way. Right. So they have to come along with you.
2: Yeah, and depending on the type of music they're used to listening to... Right, so jazz would be a little
0: bit easier, because yes. that's kind of core to what jazz is. About.
2: I think the audience would actually be upset at a jazz musician if they played it the same yeah. way, because yeah. then they'd be like, where's the improvisation? <laughs> but most of the world is saying, well, where's the, you know, where's the song the, yeah, way, we know to, the way we know how to sing it?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, you have your own recording label. Yes. Right from a very early age. Yes. So how did that come about? Because that's... That probably was very unusual then. I don't know about now.
2: Yeah, now it's become really, I think, a a much more common thing. Because Because of the internet The internet. People are just so able to just easily put up their work, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so from the age of 12, um, the label that was created is called Paz Productions, Mm P-A-Z-Z. And um, I think the reason why I initially had started it was maybe uh, the advice of some other musicians who had yeah. said, you know, if you, if you're not getting signed right now or yeah. if you don't have the deal mm-hmm. that you want to have, you know, don't let that hold up getting the creation out there right. to the to the world the actual steps of creating one's own publishing company and all that is not that hard mm-hmm. the hardest thing is getting funding you know and mm-hmm. a lot of times that's why artists will go to labels but you sign away a ton of your i mean you're giving away so much of yeah. your work of your percentages of your work and and a lot of times and and there's always good and bad to every situation there's some um, artists that I know that have had amazing situations with their labels, with all that, mm-hmm. with their publishers. But I've also heard a lot of stories where artists would have to give away a lot of their creative control their vision. Mm-hmm. And I was in a very fortunate position that I could uh, completely have my own creative control and then get it out the way that I wanted to yeah. to my fans. Um, and, and that's, that's incredibly empowering and, and a, a beautiful thing for me to deliver exactly what I was hearing straight to, you know, to, right. to my audience.
0: Right. You know, some of the things you've done both in terms of early, early career and creating things, then the, the, the label and then managing with fans and the crowd, crowd sourcing and all the rest... Um, there's almost a it's not right to say a template it's almost like a terrible word talking to a jazz musician <laughs> it's the opposite of what we've been talking about but let's say there's some clues there's some pointers uh and you got to figure out how to get from one to two but you know what the you know what the 10 steps are in yeah a sense. Um,
2: or I've, I've figured i've been you, figuring you fi- it out you figure it out I <laughs> yeah. mean,
0: and they're changing and they're you know nothing stays exactly the same but you know a lot of them a lot of people don't know they don't know about that right um, and so maybe they jump to a label or something else or, or they don't get that music, their music out. Yeah. And I think because of the the, the internet and the, the, the low, low cost to produce some songs, at least I guess professionally it's going to be yeah. more, um, we might not be getting as much um, creativity might not, might be a barrier for, for creativity, especially for younger people that don't quite have, you know, you had, you know, involved parents that were very knowledgeable, that knew about music and and um um and, and you're thoughtful about it as a, as a team not everybody has that
2: and along the way i mean i think if i the most um production costs go to having an incredible team of musicians yeah. of producers mm-hmm. of um, people that i've handpicked because i love their style
1: yeah.
2: um to be able to bring the music to life you yeah. know and I'm the type of person who... I really like to be hands-on on on everything. Mm -hmm. And so even when it comes to um, finding the producer, finding the next team member, Mm -hmm. I want to feel like that person knows my vision. So I might come out, I might draw out... um, Actually, in all these situations, I have my own demos that I walk in the door with. Mm -hmm. And then I hand it to... I work hand-in-hand with that producer to be like, all right, let's make this way better. But the vision for it is there, and it's something yeah. I really encourage all artists to, ha- to spend the time to find what their vision is. Because right. I think if you go to a label too soon, or you go to a manager or someone without your own idea of it, it's really easy to get thrown into mm-hmm. someone else's idea if you're not quite clear of it. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, but the people that you hire, they've got to buy into your vision. Absolutely. They can't recreate that vision. Right. You want them to make it better, better. to execute on it, exactly. to add their own creativity.
2: And then I am always, you know, asking them, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of yeah. that? Because I love their style and I yeah. want to, you know, get mm-hmm. get their input and their expertise on it.
0: Right. You know, I, uh, I, I wrote about that in the context of leadership. It's kind of funny to think about, right? I call that uncompromising the open, which is kind of counterintuitive. <laughs> but But... Yeah. Um, Great leaders are uncompromising when it comes to their vision. They know what it is they want to they want to do. They have it clear in their heads. They just are not sure how to get there themselves and understand that to make to really fulfill that vision, they want other great people around them. Right. And they do create now that I we're talking about improv and jazz, they actually create something like that where people have an opportunity to have an impact. You're handpicking people that really know how to do that so you're kind of a step a step ahead in that in that respect but it's very similar it's kind of funny yeah
2: and I I think that um the openness you know I I always want to work with other artists a team that's that's open to to talking about these ideas and and Mm -hmm. kind of riffing on it to to get it in an even better place
1: how
0: long is a like when you're doing an album how long is the actual studio time
2: Uh, It's ranged everywhere from I've done um, a full album recording in one 12-hour day, if it's a jazz record. I've actually recorded a full record (laughs) with all the musicians in the house. You know, one take.
1: Uh
2: um, One of my... More recent albums, Go Time, Brooklyn 1 and 2, was recorded live in the studio with an audience that we brought in.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We had cinematographers. Mm-hmm. We had... So, actually, people couldn't see all the clips on YouTube. And we only did a maximum of two takes on every song. And people were... We did that session in three hours. But I've also seen the whole other range of it taking over a year to work on, like... Over a year? Yeah. To work on a pop songs in a much more... Um, pop way with different producers Mm -hmm. the writing taking a long time the production maybe taking Mm -hmm. a few months getting other remote musicians on it mixing mastering it's like kind of all over the map i've i've composed um film music in as little as you know a few weeks all the way to months
0: um
2: it 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 heavily also depends on the deadline
0: (laughs) And the deadline.
2: <laughs> I think you like actually... in every other field. You really have to start... If you want to get something done, at mm-hmm. least, you know, what I've learned from producing music, you kind of have to start with what is my plan for the deadline? How am i am going to get it out? And, mm-hmm. and, like, why am I doing this project? And who am mm-hmm. I trying to get it out to? And mm-hmm. then what am I inspired by right now?
1: Yeah.
2: Because um, sometimes the ones that take a long time is because there's no actual deadline, you know? And we're right. just chipping away at it. Which is great, too. Right. I think it's important to take the creative time to, like, work on a song until it's done. But, but then a, there's a fine line, mm, too. <laughs> there's
0: something about a little bit of pressure doesn't actually hurt.
2: Yeah, yeah, kind absolutely. Of,
0: kind of drives you to the finish line.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah,
0: and so, so what are you working on now? A bunch of different projects, no doubt.
2: Yeah, I have a new release called Go Time Live in L.A., which is the same format of we had videographers. With, with an audience. This time it was in a live venue. Mm-hmm. But it was the same thing of we wanted to... It's going to come out as... Um, video clips on YouTube mm-hmm. to build exposure to, to get it out. I have fans all around the globe who have commented, who have seen these videos. My first one, Go Time Brooklyn, um, came out on Facebook Live. People got to see the full session. We had 100,000 people tune wow. in from all around the world. Commenting, sharing, mm-hmm. helping with the crowdfunding—it was—it was incredible. Artists sharing, so I really like this format. So we're we're getting this new music out. Meanwhile, I'm working on like so many other projects of my own. Um, more of my pop project, getting um, back into my roots of like acting, uh, slowly um, and dancing. And then I've been working on on some other um, great projects, including. The great writer Michael Connolly. I wrote all his music for his latest podcast. I'm doing some film scoring coming up, um, and then a lot of touring. You know, awesome, which takes yeah. a lot of um, time and effort. And performance is my favorite thing in the world to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I'm realizing now that I, it's an amazing thing to be able to live stream from home as well, and and be able to to put that content out to fans all over the globe because mm-hmm. I'm not able to travel, mm-hmm. you know, in all the situations to where all my fans sure. are. Right, right, right. So people are always asking me, when are, are you coming here? <laughs> and I'm like, we have to get booked there. <laughs> you know, we have to right. have... <laughs>
0: Somebody's got to book us and then we'll, <laughs> talk, we'll talk about
2: exactly. it. Exactly. But um, between the traveling and then the, the content making and I on a regular basis have so many ideas for projects that I want to do. It's more like I have to carve out the and collaborations. It's carving out the time and uh, having the game plan to kind of
0: yeah.
2: create all those things. So I have this new thing that um, uh, I was talking to my boyfriend about. He, he helped me kind of collect my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Every time I have a new idea, I just I write it down so mm-hmm. that I can go through my list. I'm not the most... Um, I never was a list maker growing up. Mm-hmm. My, my head is kind of all over the place. So mm-hmm. I've had to train myself recently to get a little bit mm-hmm. more organized...
0: Yeah, because you want to—you don't want to lose it. Um, yeah. And then, if you have so many ideas now, your career really taken off—not now, but it's for a while. But now it's like at a different level. Yeah. You can't do the first thing that jumps in your head because exactly. there's an opportunity cost associated. Exactly. You can't do everything. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, I'm, I'm slowly learning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the learning is good. It's uh, it, that's that's in some ways the purpose of what, what we're doing here to always Absolutely. be always be learning. Do you yeah. want to uh, do you want to take us out with one one last? Yeah. Um, I'm, song of something whatever you I would love to yeah or play
2: I would love to um do you have any issues podcast wise if it's a if it's a cover song just you know um or is it fun to
0: well I, I have a release I'm gonna ask okay. you to sign that I could use cool but if it's a cover maybe I'll then... just stick
2: to a, an original so you <laughs> it,
0: there won't be any serious. question about that yeah
2: yeah yeah, yeah. um
0: although uh, there was a woman that did sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow who um, was an actress that I did a recording on and I don't know if that's a problem but cool. do whatever you like
2: alright right. um <laughs> Talking about all the wonderful things (laughs) and ideas.
1: (laughs)
0: Grace Kelly, great talking to you. Love having you on The it's Sitcast. Such a
2: pleasure. Thank you so much.